Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching and joining me today in our brand new digs is Mr. Tim Perkins. Perko, how on earth are you today? Very well, mate. This is uh, quite nice, isn't it? In our new digs, as you say, new office here in Sydney. Indeed, new office, new podcast studio. I'm going to call it a studio. It's still in its formative stages, but it's um, coming together quite nicely. Yeah, it's still fairly rudimentary at this stage, but um, we'll, we'll get paint that. a picture of it over time for you, dear listeners. Indeed, perhaps even take a picture of it mm, at some maybe. point. Maybe. We should start video recording these. Mate, no one wants to see our ugly mugs. Mm, it, it's bad enough that true. they've got our, our voices. They don't want to see our faces too, mate. Yeah, that could put them off their cereal. <laughs> so today is a Q&A episode. Uh, we put the call out um, through our newsletter and also um, on socials, and we got a few questions in. And any question that gets featured today, of which we have three, Perko, um, any question that gets featured today will be receiving, or the... Uh, asker of that question the question won't receive it that would be very strange a signed photo of us no what do they get no what do they get a signed copy of my book the acts of leadership Mm. which again i can't believe there's anyone out there who still doesn't have a copy but Mm. you know those that have uh have jumped into the arena and and asked a question uh, if it gets featured today you will be um receiving a copy in the mail and our first question, Perko, I know that you have it in your hot little hands there. Well, I do. Um, take it away. This is a question from a fella named Jared or Gerard. Hello, Jared. Or Gerard. Or Gerard. You, there's a copy of Dan's book coming your way. Life goal number one, tick. <laughs> um, it's a it's a it's a many parted question. I'm going to give you a version of Jared's question here, Dan. Um, Essentially, it's around the concept of purpose. And Jared tells us that he's a fan of Daniel Pink's um, description of motivation, uh, where he talks about autonomy, mastery and purpose. Um, He also makes mention of the fact that he was interested to hear episode 79 of this podcast, where we interviewed Owen Eastwood. And in that interview, for those of you who've heard it, Eastwood talks about purpose and he talks about um, finding our purpose and differing views of purpose. Um, and then Jared also goes on to say that he's aware of Ryan and DC's work, um, particularly in relation to relatedness. Um, and he says, I've always felt that I have a purpose uh, in both my own endeavours and or those of my organisation. What are your own views around the importance, the value of purpose, Mr. Hasler? Well, it's um, we were actually uh, joking about this earlier about your uh, propensity to give so much of your time to the uh, the boards that you're on and, and in a voluntary capacity. And the reason we were joking about that is that you know we often talk about purpose as being you know fundamental to to being engaged and and you know being really important part of intrinsic motivation. So in a voluntary capacity, we're not going to extrapolate on your particular um roles there but but in a in a by a very um obvious sense you know when you're volunteering there's very little in the way of extrinsic reward coming back your way there's very little 
you know, extrinsic, in whether it's um, money or power or whatever it might be. Oh, no, that's why I do it. <laughs> it's the glory. The glory, the glory. <laughs> so, um, you know, but, but what perhaps is there is, um, the, it's, so rather than it be being done for something that comes from uh, without, it's something that comes from within, which is this sense of purpose and contributing perhaps um, to, to the education landscape, it, whether it's uh, more broadly in our work or perhaps in the case of your your volunteering on school boards in a quite a local uh, focused you know community way and so when when we talk about motivation when we talk about mindset when we talk about engagement when we talk about you know team dynamics all that kind of stuff you know having different lenses I think to put on um, what it means to be motivated or authentically engaged in 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 our work or in our lives, having those different lenses. So Daniel Pink's version of uh, self-determination theory, of, you know, where Dan talks about um, autonomy, mastery, purpose. Richard Ryan and Ed Deasy talk about um, autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And then Owen Eastwood, who, as you said, was back on uh, episode 79. Yeah, 79. He talks about this idea of... Um, not having an intrinsic purpose, so to speak, but rather just falling in to whatever the purpose of the collective is. Um, Owen, being of uh, Maori um, uh, background, would talk about the idea that he would have a, an intrinsic indi- individual role is, is kind of foreign to him. He doesn't quite really take hold of, of, of that as a, as a concept. And... So putting all that together, I think it's interesting to explore this idea of how does our environment lend itself to, you know, offer ways in for people to engage. So when when you're asking me, you know, Gerard, you're asking me specifically, what are my views on it? My views are um, using what we know about human motivation through the lenses we've just spoken about. How do we create those environments where, okay, well, if, if you're looking for um, a way or a canvas or a, an environment where you're able to engage your own individual purpose, great. You know, I want to I wanna try and create that environment where you can do that. If you're coming to this environment, this workplace, this team, organisation, and you are open to just falling into whatever that organization, that team needs, then great. And you know what? We're going to make sure that we've got a compelling purpose. We've got a real reason for being. And then what I'm thinking is that a lot of people would not be either or. They wouldn't necessarily be at the end of either of those spectrums or that spectrum, but rather being able to balance the two of those. And so one way I often explore this with people is and again leaning on uh, Daniel Pink here um, who is also a previous guest on our podcast and I'll put the links in the show notes to those conversations but he spoke about this idea of big p and little p purpose and recognizing that um, for some of us we have a big p capital p purpose and that's the reason we get out of bed and that's what you know that's the thing that drives us and and that could be individual or it could be collective okay 
But then we also have a little p purpose, a lowercase purpose, which is what's the purpose of what we're being asked to do today? What's the purpose of this task that we're doing today? And the space I like to explore is, okay, well, how closely aligned are those little p purpose tasks, those little things of why we're doing this? How closely aligned is that to your big p purpose? And I would argue that the closer you are to having alignment on those two, um, big P and little P purpose, then the more likely it is that you're going to feel authentically engaged. You're going to feel motivated. The further they're apart, you know, so what you're asking me to do, the purpose of what you're asking me to do on a day-to-day basis, it isn't aligning with me, then with my big P purpose, then I might actually still be quite compliant I might actually still do my job, but I'm not going to be authentically bought in. I'm not going to be genuinely, you know, intrinsically motivated to continue, um, you know, when things get tough, for example. And you know what? If a better, a slightly better offer comes along, I'm probably going to jump shit because what I'm being asked to do here isn't really, you know, lighting or, or, or keeping my fire burning, so to speak. So, I like to sort of yeah, really get into that because the, the, the often unsaid thing, of course, is that when you have big P and little p purpose really tightly aligned, that in itself isn't necessarily a good thing because perhaps that could be a one-way ticket to burnout. You know, like what you're asking me to do is so important to me. I'm just going to give it my all and day in, day out. And it's quite interesting to explore the tension between what gets us out of bed and what we're being asked to do. And just being able to, as as teams, as individuals, as leaders, just be able to have those kinds of conversations. Understanding, I guess, what makes people tick is fundamental to um, understanding how to get the best out of them and the best out of yourself. Yeah, you mentioned Dan Pink there. And if, if people go back, uh, episode nine, um, back in July 2019, uh, early days of this podcast where you're talking with Dan Pink about around that stuff and he, he does, he sort of separates the big P from the little P. Um, but it's interesting, when you're talking about purpose there, I think one of the one of the things that can easily be confused with purpose is goals, life ambitions, intentions and 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 obviously there's an alignment with purpose but there's a differentiation as well. And as as you mentioned at the beginning there, Dan, I think one of the one of the things that we can look at is service. And when we're in service of something that's bigger than ourselves and that is not necessarily about ourselves and the trade-off is just contribution uh, and being part of something, I think that really ties in nicely with what uh, Owen Eastwood was talking about. He talked about doing an interview with uh, an ex-all-black player, a guy named Jerome Kano, who, who made that point that you made there, Dan, about the idea that... His purpose is whatever's required of him by the – so he talked about his church and his rugby team. And in his case, those were two things that he felt – or two communities that he felt very privileged to be a part of. And his role he, – he he didn't overstate his role. His role was to be a part of the collective, um, which is, you know, part of a collectivist culture that – not all, not all of us understand that idea because a lot of us are living in, you know, in a framework that, by its nature, is very individualistic, and that's that's not about a 
judgment call on anybody. It's, you know, society at large is so much of it's about becoming individualistic and what Eastwood's talking about, you know, in relation to Maori culture, it's a very collectivist culture. My purpose is what I can contribute, what's required of me, what I have the skills, capabilities, capacities and desires to sort of to do and share. Mm. I'm actually just thinking now that there's... And purely by fluke, I would argue that the the three questions that have come out now, they're all that, that we're, we're exploring today. They're all somewhat intertwined, which is quite interesting. So, um, with that said, we'll jump into the second question. And uh, the second question um, is from Wendy. And again, Wendy, signed copy of the Actor Leadership is on its way to you. And um, the question from Wendy, and it's a massive question, Perko, so I don't know, I'm throwing this one to you to see how you tackle this. Um, the question from Wendy is this, how does a true leader bring people together effectively? Mm, it's a very short question. Can you answer with, this? With a lot of depth. Yeah, answer this in 10 seconds, go. 10 seconds. <laughs> um, how does a true leader bring people together effectively? Well, there's lots of things running around in my mind. I'll share a few of them with you here. Number one, I think about how you, Dan, as a leader, have brought me in effectively to the Cut-Through um, family, which started off as quite a small nuclear family and it is mm -hmm. growing um, currently. And because I think a lot of what you did both deliberately and by virtue of, um, you know, how you want to lead and so you're doing some of it unconsciously and some of it very mindfully and deliberately which is about really opening doors and understanding through story as much as anything else. Dan and I um, spend a lot of our time talking so we, we drink a lot of coffee and we spend a lot of time talking. People would be surprised to hear that, I think. Yeah, I think they'd be really surprised. I think they thought it was much more serious than that. Um, but what we've allowed ourselves here in the work that we do is that we have created opportunities to really understand each other, understand each other as people, understand each other's motivations, understand each other's strengths, um, understand the things that are important to us and what we choose to do in relation to work is all driven through that. Um, when, when it comes to this idea of leadership, obviously so much of what we do here, so much of what we've talked about on this podcast, so much of what the guests have spoken about on this podcast, uh, how, do we, how do we lead in a way that is humble? How do we lead in a way that's effective? How do we lead in a way that's going to bring out the strengths of other people. And one of the ways to do that is to really take the time to understand who the people that we're working with are. There's a book that I'm reading at the moment called On Belonging, not to be confused with Owen Eastwood's book called Belonging. On Belonging is by an American woman named Kim Samuel and we're hoping to get her on the podcast soon enough. Um, and she's developed a framework for belonging which I think really helps us uh, in relation to this particular question in that her framework which is, which is delineated under four Ps, she talks about belonging in relation to people, in relation to um, place, in relation to power and in relation to purpose. And I'll just spend a minute sort of unpacking each of those uh, because I think 
when when we talk about leadership, uh, it's essential to understand the concept of belonging. The idea that in order to cultivate the conditions in which people who you work with and you work for are going to be able to bring out their absolute best, they need to feel a strong sense of belonging. Um, when we talk about belonging in relation to the first P, which is people, it's how much of each other's story do we understand? How much of each other's um, motivations and, and narrative, their background, do we spend the time to explore and make sense of so that we can really be with the people rather than just working side by side and not truly being interdependent, um, you know, what the preschool teachers would call parallel play, two kids sitting in a sandpit. They quite like the idea that there's another kid sitting there alongside them but there's no real interaction. You know, one's doing this, the other one's doing that. Um, which is great with preschoolers in a sandpit playing alongside each other but it doesn't necessarily – it's not necessarily the – the best way to bring out all the the special characteristics and skills of people within a team, which does become increasingly interdependent. Um, And so a leader understands, a really good leader understands that those, um, that culture needs to be cultivated where people feel safe with the people that they work alongside, they feel known and valued by the people they work alongside um, and that they all... uh, share this understanding that getting to know each other better is really um, fundamental to working well with each other. So belonging in relation to people, belonging in relation to place, do I fit in in the environment in which I find myself? So there are all sorts of elements that come into this. You probably heard Owen Eastwood on the previous podcast talk about a football player, Michael Owen, who changed clubs, changed countries, went from an English club where he was a native to a Spanish club where he just didn't feel that he fit in. And as a result, it had a big negative impact on the way that he actually played as well. He didn't feel that the place, whether it was the particular clubhouse, whether it was the the city that he was living in, the country that he was living in, um, the neighbourhood where he he chose to live, the sense of place uh, wasn't sufficiently there to bring out the best in him. So it's really essential that we have a a feeling that we belong within the place in which we work and whether that's, as I say, the country, the city, the the suburb, the environment, the office space where you're working, place plays a really important role in people's sense of belonging. The third one is power and this is a really interesting one and this this is about hierarchies and it's really about the idea that People having choice, voice, agency, volition, all of those elements, autonomy, um, that give them a sense that they can have an impact on what is happening for them and to them, that they're not powerless, that they're not sitting there without agency, that their ideas can be shared. And it comes back as, as with people as well, you know, this concept of psychological safety um, comes into this really strongly as well. Do I have the opportunity to speak up without being ridiculed or, or harassed or disrespected or devalued in some way? And then finally, um, it's in relation to purpose, which comes back to Dan's response in the previous question. Do I know why I'm here? Do I know what this organisation's really about? Um, 
do we have a shared vision of what it looks like to be effective in these roles? Do, do we have a sense that what we're doing makes a difference in the world, um, that it's worthwhile and that it fits with our own, you know, worldview and, and our desire to, to have an impact? Um, so those four elements, people, place, power and purpose, really uh, I think have, you know, it's a really nice framework of belonging that helps us with an understanding of if we want to understand our people, if we want to lead them to really bring people together effectively, we need to consider what's the soil that we're placing these little flowers in in order to help them flourish. Mm. And I think, you know, the question really did ask about bringing people together. So perhaps, and I'm interpreting between the lines, is so perhaps at the moment they're not together, you know, perhaps for whatever reason, whether that's in a, a, a literal sense, you know, re- remote or you know, some, somewhat disparate, mm. or whether that's more of a psychological kind of not together or not aligned in purpose. And so I think the four Ps there give us, a again i'm going to use this this language you know it's another lens with which to to look at um whatever the the challenges are when it comes to to bringing people together and it 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 gives us not only a lens to look at but a a map or a you know some some levers to pull because it could be that for for one of your people for example it could be that um place is more important than power it could be Mm. You know, it could be, I don't necessarily think all of these are going to be of equal importance mm. um, for everyone. And But by having this language and this, this lens to be able to engage with um, your teams around, I think, um, again, it, it, you know, the question, a true leader, a true leader is going to be more interested in asking the good questions around those um, four Ps than just, you know, telling people what the purpose is. You know, as opposed, you know, actually finding out well, what's yeah. yours, where are you from? You know, understanding some background, understanding um, the importance of of how they feel that power is either used with them or 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 against them in the worst cases, um, because you know, and I, I'm going to riff on that idea of true leadership. You know, I think it's a it, it's it's a lot about accepting our own vulnerabilities and and accepting the fact that you do not know everything. I think. As soon as you can accept that, I think you can start really stepping into leadership. I think if you're sitting there thinking, no, no, I've got this all down pat. I know exactly what we should do. I know exactly, because that's the way it can be portrayed, right? You know, you think of the cliche sort of Steve Jobs. The alpha. Yeah, the alpha kind Mm. of stuff. It's like, well, it kind of, you know, it really, it it just paints this really uh, distorted picture of what leadership really is. And I think particularly, I think particularly against the backdrop of uh, the past few years, you know, those four Ps, they're, they're more more critical than ever. So, mm. yeah, it's, it's um, and, and I think we should also stress, you know, that that's one way of looking at it. There's countless ways, you know, we could, we could do a whole podcast series mm. on ways to bring people together effectively, but I, I, you, you know, listeners are well aware at the moment that um, belonging is, is where we're, we're playing. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's uh, I think, a really great place to start. Yeah, just listening to you there, Dan, just three words come up just to round this out as well. I think curi- Eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> no, curiosity, I mm. think, is is what I'm really hearing in your response there. That idea that 
true leaders bringing people together, you know, as, as, as the question asks, it's about curiosity. It's, it's not about telling. It's about listening to such an extent and good leaders are good listeners and also recognising the primacy of safety and trust. And when people feel that those elements, the, you know, that are represented by those four Ps are in place to whatever levels, as you say, Dan, I agree. I don't think, you know, that the same priorities exist for all people, you know. It's, they're just different levels. But when people feel that they can trust, they feel trusted and they feel safe within their environment, that's when a leader is going to get the best out of those people. And so, you know, a true leader, as you've asked in the question there, Wendy, how do they bring those people together effectively? It's really about considering how do I amp up trust and safety in a really authentic way, recognising that it won't happen immediately uh, and that it's a process and that curiosity about the people that you've got in front of you will really have an impact on those levels of trust and safety. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. Which leads us to our last question for today's episode and it's a voicemail message and it's been left um, by Alona and I think this question is actually going to bring together a few of the themes that we've been um, exploring today quite nicely so just find the old answering machine here. My question to you is this cultural sensitivity training in schools does it work and what does it look like when done well? Okay, Perko, cultural sensitivity training. Mm. Does it work? What does it look like? The timing of this um, is quite interesting because, Dan, you and I uh, were invited along to a conference last week, um, the Global Global Pacific Arts, Culture and Sport Conference, uh, run by a fellow named David Lakisa, who we've had a bit to do with in the last 12 months or so, runs an organisation called Talanoa Consultancy. Even the name Talanoa, which he described actually on the day, is very interesting because Talanoa is a Samoan word as far as I understand. Um, And the Tala bit means uh, speaking and the Noa bit means not speaking, so thereby listening, Um, which I think is a really – that's a nice little clue uh, in relation to what's really important. So David is the – managing director of a group called Talanoa Consultancy and and a big part of his work is around the idea of introducing cultural awareness, cultural sensitivity um, into sports. So he's actually done a PhD looking at the um, proportions of Pacific Islanders uh, playing in elite sport uh, around Australia in particular um, and realising that clubs need to really consider who do they have on their books and are they accommodating uh, sufficiently, adequately, considering that that, that group uh, has changed over time? One of the things that I think about in relation to cultural sensitivity is really around the idea of the biases that we have that might get in our way when dealing with cultures that are outside of the dominant cultural group. I had some really interesting experience um, in relation to this in my previous job, which was as a university lecturer. And one of the things that really brought me enormous joy in that job was a 
program that we ran in Kenya for a, a group of um, a community group, um, internally displaced people in Kenya. And I was working as a lecturer in the education faculty. And so we took education and medical students across to Kenya to work with the people in this community. And in order to do that and to do it in a really authentic and worthwhile way, it was really so much of it, you know, we took big groups of, of young university students, you know, up to 60 students on some trips to go and live and work with the local community for three or four weeks at a time, both in a school and in a medical clinic. In order to be able to do that, in an authentic way, we needed to understand who the people that we were going over there to serve were. We needed to set aside any understandings and misunderstandings that we entered into prior, or we entered with prior to really getting to know the people that we worked with. So, you know, the the research that we did around that and, and you know, really encouraged us to do a couple of very specific things. One of those was to recognise our own culture and any biases that we might have towards other cultures. Now, we might, you know, have, have thoughts that, no, 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 I don't have any cultural biases, but that's one of the interesting things about biases that we're unaware of them. They're almost always unconscious. It's a way of being, it's a way of thinking, it's a mindset. Um, and so in order to bring those to light, we have to really interrogate them and question them. One of the best ways to do that is to have contact with members of the local community that there may, there may be biases towards or, or misunderstandings about. And so that's what we did as part of our training prior to going on these trips was to get Kenyans in to come and do some uh, Swahili language classes with us, to do some cultural work with us so that we actually understood who the people that we were going to be working with are. And Lakisa talks about this, you know, he talked about it at the conference last week of really some really basic things, you know, understanding a bit about local geography, understanding a bit about local customs, understanding um, some basic language, a really essential element of really immersing yourself and, you know, as Mandela would say, trying to walk a mile in the shoes of those people. So empathy, cultural empathy becomes a really important part of cultural understandings, to break down stereotypes, to break down misunderstandings. Listening is obviously, you know, and as Dan said, there are some strong links between these questions. Interestingly, listening, as, as was, you know, Wendy's leadership question there, such an important element of this. You know, we have our learnings about different cultures, about different groups, about different geographic locations, um, but we need to set those aside in order to truly listen and to learn about those and then to show our interest through participation um, you know and, and Lakisa did that with us he had us uh, you know learning words in Samoan language and in other Pacific Island languages and practicing those um, back to the original question from Alona you know does it work what does it look like when it's done well I've got a slight reluctance to answer the question, does it work? I mean, because I think that completely depends on how thoughtful and considered um, the training is. Best case scenario, it's really well considered and thought out and it's very thoughtful sort of training. So absolutely it can and should work. What does it look like when it's done well? 
Um, I think listening, you know, from 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 our experience, listening is the absolute key to it. Um, and an open-hearted desire to learn about the other and to challenge any inherent biases that we might naturally come to the equation with. Mm. Yeah, so I think when I think about this question, one of the um, immediate thoughts I had was rather than considering what it looks like when it's done well, mm. I'd like to ponder what it feels like when it's done well. Um, the reason for that is, you know, I think we've all been at whatever training it could be. I'm thinking of my own um, background in teaching when I'd be at a first aid training course or, uh, you know, a teaching course, you know, how to, the, the new the new technology or the new pedagogy or whatever it might be. And it could look great. You know, it could, the training could have looked great, but it might not necessarily have felt great. It might have felt less great because, well, maybe I didn't really want to be there or maybe I didn't see the point or, you know, maybe um, it just, there was, there was some part of it which just didn't connect for me. And so, again, I guess leaning on what we've spoken about um already today in terms of you know authentic buy-in and and purpose and uh, autonomy you know and and whatnot i think if we're going to get into the world of cultural sensitivity which let's be clear i think should be um it should be core business you know um it should be core business absolutely but we have to go into it with a real authenticity we have to go into it genuinely curious genuinely wanting to understand wanting to build empathy you know before as you were saying before we have to go into it willing to put our narrative and our biases away and you know i think being able to sort of really dig into it putting us not not putting aside that's not that's not what i'm about to say what i'm about to say is going into this idea of, of cultural understanding and sensitivity over and above you know, race, ethnicity, mm. food, clothes. Yeah, of course, of, of course that's important. But the, it's what's it all built on? What's the, you know, I, I'm thinking of that conference that we were at, you know, really understanding the stories of where the countries of, of have come from like thinking for example you know like why is it that certain areas of the pacific are called micronesia polynesia and and melanesia, melanesia mm. for example you know and good little homework topic for all of you who are listening yeah and thinking about um you know the the colonization stories and and recognizing you know i think one of the big um things is you know when we can't really talk about indigenous culture we need to be talking about indigenous cultures you know, it's and I'm really sort of just understanding that everyone's got a story to tell, and the more willing we are to to listen to that with a real sense of, you know, not just a desire to learn, yeah, yeah a desire to learn, but not just so we accommodate or just so we, um, hmm. you know, that that we, I think that's the point, yeah, that we learn and we grow as a result of this, and and one of the things which. Um, David Lakiza um, shared, and and the other academics who are at the conference shared was, 
a good way to engage in different cultures is to understand the way in which those cultures engage with each other. So using frameworks and and uh, lenses, for want of a better phrase, to, to engage. So, for example, in in in, in Australia, you know, lots of schools, for example, have yarning circles, mm. you know, um, or um, the Dadiri concept mm. of of deep, uh, deep, listening. deep listening. So, really, if if we're going to if we want to hear from our indigenous cultures, well, let's not send them a Google form, mm. right? <laughs> and and I'm not saying in any way that that's what happens, but what I'm saying is let's not just do it the way that we would normally engage with our stakeholders in inverted commas, but let's use these um, culturally appropriate and sensitive um, frameworks to engage with them. Mm. And and again, not doing it for any agenda for us to tick a diversity box or this, mm. that and the other, and um, but to actually do it because you know what? This is actually going to help me show up better for you so you can be better and we have this beautiful um, symbiotic growth. Yeah. Well said, Dan. Really well said. And I think um, one of the things that – it was such an interesting day that you and I experienced at that Pacific Islanders conference last week and we both walked away um, feeling a little bit different. And I think, you know – Steiner education talk about an education that impacts your head, your heart and your hands where you actually engage your mind in the thinking process. You engage your your body, you engage your heart um, with the, an emotional response to it and you engage your hands with physical and practical involvement with it. And I think you and I walked away from that having each of those three elements uh, brought to bear and engaged. And one of the things that you know, when I think back to it, is that we were in a minority, we were in a cultural minority there, um, which was a very important thing to feel um, and it made it really clear to us why cultural sensitivity, why cultural training, why immersions are so valuable. And so to do it really well, I think, you know, there are... So, you know, back to your question, Alona, that what does it look like when it's done well? As you've said, Dan, let's reframe that. What does it feel like? And have we engaged head, heart and hands? Um, and have people who've got the knowledge, have they been involved in the practice? Or is it just something that we've done in the absence of the people who genuinely should be involved in the process as well? So mm. how authentic have we been about that? And I think it just floated up to my mind there as you were, you were talking that you know like i started off my little response to this by saying you know it it should be front of mind it should absolutely be front of mind where and i've referenced this before um in a previous podcast episode i think off the top of my head episodes 80 perhaps um with uh, patrice gordon who speaks about the importance of reverse mentoring mm. and the, the the and you'll see the connection now because I think it should be absolutely front of mind when the, I'll just use the word broadly here, but the leaders or the, the teachers or the coaches are charged with leading, teaching or coaching a population group that they're not part of, you know? And and so again, if I'm going to, I'm going to be very generalistic here now, right? But in Australia, the vast majority 
I would say, well, so, uh, you know what? I'll go to NRL because that's the safest space for me to go to because I know 50% of NRL footballers are from uh, Pacific Islander backgrounds of one form or another. And of the 17 head coaches, my guess is none of them are of Pacific Islander background. There may be some in the assistant coaching. Uh, so Steve Kearney, for example, um, in the uh, as assistant coach. And then further down, when we look at um, out west, Penrith Panthers, so many of these young men coming through are, you know, in an environment where their leaders, their coaches, their teachers aren't from that background. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that is the way it is. And I think if we're going to help um, be better, if that's the right way, of 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 bringing um, cultures together and, and, and really thriving, then we have to, we have to authentically engage. We have to um, put aside whatever stories we have, biases we have, and genuinely engage um, in, an, in an authentic fashion. Because to not do that, to not do that is either well to not do that i think now in this day and age is somewhat willfully ignorant or mm. arrogant perhaps both and just to you know you might be thinking well where do we start how do how do we do this and i would i would honestly say that the the podcast that we did with patrice a couple of episodes back gives you i'm not going to say it's an easy way because it's not easy this isn't easy to do um because it takes a it takes a, a delicacy it takes a grace you can't just go in hey tell me all about your culture right um but reverse mentoring is this idea of where we we find typically underrepresented voices and that's the point we might not be saying that they might be not underrepresented in our population group in a school for example or um in a sporting team there might there's there's you know um many many uh, representatives from a certain culture but their voice you know their 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 input for want of another um, way of putting it, um, perhaps isn't um, commensurate with that, and so reverse mentoring says, okay, well let's find people who are willing to speak up, and and when I say speak up, I mean speak up the chain, you know, to speak up to leadership, to speak up to coaching staff, to speak up to associations, and again, not saying it's easy. But it's a way. It's a it's a step forward, and I think if we do that, I think if we do that, then, and I'm going to because the question was framed in schools. I'm going to I'm going to round this out with bringing it back to school. So I am quite aware that in um, many schools, particularly in the UK, I'm not too sure. Somewhat ironically, now I live in Australia, I'm not too sure what it's like in Australia, but certainly in the UK, and I'm only getting this off sort of watching the very active space that is Twitter for um, educators in the UK. It's a very active space. And it's really, and, and I would also probably say um, the USA as well in terms of this stuff. But there's a lot of dialogue on there around this stuff, around cultural sensitivities. Because what they're finding is typically school systems which are led predominantly or not, not even systems, specific schools or approaches. So the zero tolerance movement, for example, around behaviour or um, certain approaches to what is perceived as the ideal discipline. You know, for example, maintaining eye contact with 
the teacher. Well, if we had a better understanding of some cultures, we'd understand that eye contact with an elder is entirely inappropriate. There is issues around uniform and hairstyles, which if we had a, you know, which so kids get expelled for having what is inappropriate um, for the school, but is entirely appropriate for their culture. And rather than the school's understanding that, again, I'm just going to put this out there, schools, you know, uh, uh, sh- should be serving the cultures, you know, um, certainly not uh, pushing the cultures away or, or, or tampering with them in any way. Um, I think if we had more culturally aware and sensitive approaches across the board then some of these issues might not be as prevalent as they are and again because I'm talking about Twitter I appreciate that's probably amplified um but it's 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 real it's out there there's there is significant commentary around you know those kinds of things yeah I mean you're talking about some contested and hot button issues there and I think that it's you know the point of it all is it's essential to know the people who are in front of us and to really actively make that effort to understand the people who are in front of us and any training that is going to support us to do that. If it's done well, if it engages head, heart and hands, then I think we're heading in the right direction. Yep. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Wendy, Gerard and Ilona, for your questions. Um, As we mentioned, signed copies of the book on their way to you as we speak. Um, If you... Are listening and hey, thinking, hey, I've got a question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bowl, bowl one down at the boys there. Yeah. Then head over to habitsofleadership.com uh, and click on the podcast page, and you can submit any questions that you have for us for upcoming episodes. If you've got any suggestions for guests, or perhaps you yourself would like to be on a guest again, if you just head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the podcast page, you can get all the details there. As we always say. If you've enjoyed this uh, episode, then there's a fair chance someone you know will enjoy it. So please feel free to share this as far and as wide as you can. And whilst you're here, if you can, just click like, click subscribe, maybe leave a comment because doing these little actions makes a big difference to the way that the algorithms send our podcast out to people who are yet to even hear of us. But until our next episode, thanks for joining us, Perko. Thanks, Dan. It was uh, nice to work in this new space. Indeed. And until our next episode, thanks for listening. Take care. Take it easy.